Hi, I'm John. And I'm Cecilia. Welcome to Crazy Cat Paranormal Speaks. Hey, Crazy Cats. If you listened to our podcast last week, you heard us talk to Brad Cooney and almost sort of, without actually doing it, talk about the house in between the Mississippi house that was featured in a documentary by Steve Gonzalez and, and Kendall Welton. Um, it was really hard to have that conversation without actually having that conversation. But what you might not have known is Brad was not the original lead investigator on that on that case. There was somebody investigating that house long before anybody else. And if you saw the documentary, and if you haven't, go see it already. It's fantastic. But if you saw the documentary, you would notice a, a quieter gentleman in the background in pretty much every scene in the show uh, who's actually the lead investigator who actually started investigating that house early on in the early days and is still investigating that house and is a wealth of information. Please welcome John Bullard to our show. Welcome, John. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. I am very excited that you're on today. I'm like bouncing in my chair. I'm so excited. That rarely happens, so thank you. (laughs) Well... I'm a weirdo. What can I tell you? <laughs> so we get a lot of paranormal investigators on the show, you know, just chit-chatting about their investigations and things like that. But you kind of stand out a little bit for me because you didn't you didn't start formally, you know, at the dawn of time. I mean, you've been doing it for a very long time, but not at the dawn of time. You are the lead investigator on one of the most incredible cases that's been documented. And you're very quiet about it. You, you kind of get in there, you do your thing, and, and, and you get your evidence, and you, you help your people, and you move on to the next one, or, or in the case of the Mississippi House, keep coming back to that one. I, I see how you interact with Alice and, and everything else, and I mean, you, you've got a very genuine attitude for this. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad you noticed that. <laughs> what what turned you towards paranormal investigation? Because people don't generally wake up as a child and say, I'm going to be a paranormal investigator when I grow up. Right, right. So, and to go back to your point, you know, there's, this field is very, very intriguing. And if you're a paranormal investigator or if you're in this field and you've been in the culture of it, you hear a term a lot of times called pure unity. Uh, and that's it's great that recently it's really been coming to the forefront and everybody's been working together because this field has been up and down throughout the years. I've been investigating for about 14 years total uh, from when I started uh, till today. And, you know, whenever I first started out, I was learning and just like everybody else, nobody, you know, I, I hear the term professional investigator. And it's hard to throw that term out there because, you know, what, what coins you as a professional? Right. Like this field is so subjective. Everything that we use is subjective. You know, there's tools that are legitimate. There's tools that are definitely triggered by so many other things that they shouldn't even be in the field. So I think we're all working together to find one common goal and to push this field forward. And <clears throat> whenever I was a child, what got me into being a paranormal investigator, uh, ever since I was young, actually eight months, when I was eight months old, uh, I went in to have hernia surgery and I flatlined on the table and they had these little paddles or something to get me back. Wow. So I had a near-death experience. And it's interesting, you know, I've read a lot of stories about people who've had near-death experiences and they've kind of, Started, maybe it opened a window for him. I don't know. 
I do think there's a lot of people who have the ability to um, open up windows and are, are more sensitive than they realize. They just, they're never put in that situation and it's not something they focus on. Um, but what got me started, I was probably 12 or 13 years old and my family, my grandparents were from a small town in Mississippi called Brookhaven, Mississippi. And uh, my grandfather owned several junkyards and he used to go to old Annabelle homes around and just old homes in general and would uh, pick stuff up people didn't want after they had like estate sales. So I'd always go with them and pick stuff up and help and this, that, and the other. And there were several houses that we went to in that area uh, that every every time I'd go in there, I would hear voices or see shadow figures. And as a child, I never really said anything. I just thought it was my imagination. And there's one house in particular that we went to several times and it was close to where they live. So we always took a walk and walked through the house because nobody was there. And I always called that house the crowded house. And my parents never knew why until actually about five or six years ago, I, I told them the story. They heard me doing an interview and they, they were like mind blown because they made sense why I always called it the crowded house. Every time I would go in there, it was just, I would, I would hear voices and chatter, almost like a, a party was going on. And again, you know, you're a kid, people think you're crazy. So I never really said anything to anybody. And I started doing research on the internet and 2006, to 2008, those two years, I started hunting out supposed haunted locations like King's Tavern in Natchez, Mississippi, uh, which has been done by Ghost Adventures and several other, uh, John Zapp has did it on the Haunted Collector. Um, that's a late 1700s building. And if you're talking about the United States, anything that's that old, it's definitely got some history in it. And that's a very unique building. But that was one of the first places that I went to to try to validate what I experienced as a child. And, um, you know, I had the old school equipment at the time. I had no clue what I was doing. I had the, the mini tapes that you used to put in answer mm-hmm. machines. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yes. <laughs> Micro cassette. Yes. Yes. Those things. I was like, this is going to catch the best evidence ever. <laughs> and uh, we had some old school cameras. And luckily, you know, I went in with the, the total raw mindset because I just wanted something to happen so bad that any creak or any noise, I was like, maybe that was something, you know, because I just, I wanted to have a validation that what I experienced as a child, it wasn't my, you know, it wasn't a figment of my imagination. It was something that was really happening. And uh, I definitely don't consider myself to be a medium. I don't use that term. Um, what I call what I have is a peek through the veil. And if you watch the documentary, which I suggest you do, the house in between.com, um, <laughs> there's a, there's a clip in there when I had my old Justin Bieber uh, swoop hair and we were testing out a night vision camera in the cemetery, and you hear me react to something. So that's an example of what I call peep through the veil. So what I heard was like, if you're whispering in my ear, uh, and I still don't get used to it, it still startles me, and I can't I can't uh, hone it. It just happens every now and then. So it doesn't happen every time I investigate, but I do have that ability. So I'm right there with you. Right, yeah. So it's cool because, and I, I think there's definitely people out there who use the term medium, and they have a true mm-hmm. gift that is incredible. There's a lot of people out there who abuse that term and they are not. So it's one of those things they really muddle the field when you use that term. So that's why I try to stay away from it as much as possible. We use the term for that. We call it being sensitive. Right. That's how we call it. Not not a medium, but being sensitive because you're a little bit more open. Uh, your channels are a little wider than the average people. Your mind's a little broader. <laughs> And, and it lets that communication happen. Right. And I think there's people out there, um, several people that have that ability. And 
and it depends on if you put yourself in that situation and if you're open to it. So it's a, it's a very intriguing, you could have a whole conversation just on, mm-hmm. you know, those different levels of sensitivity. But going back to when I was a child, we had something happen in King's Tavern and um, it really changed. We had the door slam wide open and we called it an incredible EVP. And once I caught a couple audio recordings, that's really what blew my mind. It's like the first time that you, you're, you skydive, if you've ever skydived, it's such an adrenaline rush. And it was just total validation for me for what I experienced as a child. So from that moment, all I wanted to do was gather evidence and make it easy for people to see. So, and I do marketing. That's my my job. I've marketed for about 40 different restaurants around where I live. And what you have to understand is, you know, I want this field to be legitimate and for people to take paranormal seriously and kind of mesh it with science. So it is something that's like substantial that we get credit for because this is hard work. And every time you do an investigation, just one investigation, you know, the, there's hours and hours that are put into it. And it's definitely not, not as sexy as it looks on TV. Oh, no. You know, you watch Ghost Adventures and, Many you know, hours. for example, you, oh, yeah, I mean, they're filming on location for four or five days. You know, they're doing interviews. They do some, – some teams do two or three nights investigations, and they muddle it into a 45-minute episode. So as an investigator, I'm actually uh, – we uh, did a, a updated investigation at the Mississippi House recently, and there's one recorder that's got 26 hours on it. Now, I'm breaking that up, but that's a long thing to listen to, and it's a lot of silence. So yeah. there is a lot of work put into it. And I think that the true investigators in the field who are trying to push this and, and really help people and get good evidence, they deserve more credit. Um, and that's what I've always tried to do is put ev- evidence together. And I've branded a team, and uh, we made a website where you can click and listen and move on because people's attention spans are really short. You know, I see teams yep. who put videos out there of an hour and 20 minutes, and I- I'm sorry, I'm just going to be totally blunt right now. So nobody gives a shit. Uh, about what you're doing. They're, they're not going to watch an hour and 20 minute video of people they don't know stumbling around in the dark. Yep. So what they want to see. You hit it right on the head. So what my goal was is to show locations, show the visuals because people, you know, they eat with their eyes. I always tell them that because I'm in the food industry. Um, but they want to see the visuals of the location you're at. They want to see the cool stuff. And then they want to be able to click, listen, and watch videos in the new vault because they think it's cool. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that helps our field because we need more people to watch the evidence and to believe this stuff is true and understand this is real, what we're doing. This is not fake. Uh, so that was my goal, and that's why uh, I like to talk, and I'm very outgoing. But when it comes to the paranormal field, um, I I'm, I'm just don't really, I guess, boast a lot. I don't, I'm not eccentric. I just, I've always been in the field to gather true, raw evidence and put it out there for people to see, to know that if they're watching something that came from me, it's authentic and real. See, you touched upon something that John and I talk about all the time amongst ourselves, amongst our team, uh, in our Facebook group, all of it. Paranormal investigation is not sexy in any level, <laughs> shape, size, or form. You're sitting somewhere for hours and hours and hours to get one EVP. Or maybe maybe if you're really, really lucky, you catch that door opening and closing. But people don't want to hear that. Right. Right. They they want they want the they want the action. They want the excitement. Yeah. The, they, the excitement, they want the all action, the excitement. The, the quick and easy gratification. Right. And 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 unfortunately, you know, there's several locations you go to that you don't get anything. So mm-hmm. and, and I don't consider it a waste of time because every investigation you do, I feel like my skill set goes up. because mm-hmm. um, every every location is different, every individual that you're working with is different. So it's always something that you can, you know, take as a pro and not a con. 
Well, and finding nothing is a finding. You, you, yep. Those are your findings. Very, very true. We spent 12 hours uh, at somebody's house not too long ago, and, and we got, what, maybe yeah, half an hour <laughs> worth of anything. Yeah, about that. That would be that would be considered exciting, but we learned a lot. It was a completely different terrain for us to to work in, and it was all daylight stuff, and it was all different. So almost all daylight, almost all daylight. So we learned a lot about how our equipment performs in the daylight, and what to look for, and and the differences between working at night and working in the day. So yeah, even if you capture nothing, you're you're learning something. Yeah, and and like you said, it legitimizes that. Yes, there's a lot of people who think their locations are haunted, and maybe they're not. There is a lot of rational reasons out there, and I know we get all excited and you want to jump to the conclusion, but having a level head is very important, and I, I learned that more than anybody from Steve Gonzalez when he came on the project because uh, there's things that I want to get excited about, but he had to holster me, and, and it made sense. And even though I gave him pushback during the filming a little bit, He's been in the field for a long time. He knows what he's doing. He's a genius. He really is. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, le- I learned a lot from him for sure. And, and I want to pick your brain about him a little bit later. So you you went on this King's Tavern. Is that Would you consider that your first real investigation? Yes. Uh, we dabble with some local places. But my first official investigation was myself and two, in- two individuals who were not into the paranormal, but they were close friends. Uh, one is actually a photographer and one is into, uh, he's an engineer, so he knew a lot about electronics, so it kind of worked out. I'm like, hey, hear me out. Let's try this out. So it worked out and they came with me. And uh, yeah, that was the first official investigation when I walked through the door. We had it locked down. We had the whole place to ourselves and I was let loose. So is this your core team or did your team evolve? Because I know you have a team of your own. Yeah, so I had uh, two individuals with me. So Smoky Mares, which I don't promote a lot, is just my personal team that I have. Um, we've been around about 2008 when I formed Smoky Mares Paranormal. Um, and it's just the two individuals, one camera, one historian that was with me. And we investigated probably 200 plus locations wow. with Smoky wow. Mares. And uh, since then, they've moved off, and we've kind of, you know, you, your life gets in the way and all that good stuff. So I, I still have smoking mirrors, and I still have it branded, and I still have all my evidence on there. Um, and really, the Mississippi house just kind of took over because I didn't really do a lot of private residences. Honestly, I've had some really terrible experiences in private residences. One house we went to uh, on the coast of Mississippi, this lady called. She had two small children, and we, we drove down there, and Whenever I, I take on a private residence, there, there's a questionnaire that I have them answer and kind of go over. And it's almost like a little mental evaluation just to mm-hmm. see if their stories I the I ask, you know, and you guys probably do this too. I ask questions in different ways to see if their story continues to be on the same path or if it's all over the place. And um, we went down there and I should have I should have called child services. That's how bad the house was. So we just, after that, I just was not into it. And I'm a big history buff. I love history. I love historical locations. And that's mainly what we did. And um, we enjoyed it. We got great evidence. It was fun to travel. So, you know, it, it's it's a fun, fun um, career doing the paranormal, uh, whether it's a hobby, whether you make it a career, whatever you do. But uh, I got drawn into Miss Alice's house, Mississippi House, from a friend of a friend. And it would have been, it's probably a year and a half since I did an, a private residence at this time, but it was close and I knew the lady. So I went and talked to Miss Alice. And the first time that I met her, I could tell that she was just genuinely scared. So that kind of caught my attention. 
And then, you know, she was kind of talking about the house and she's professional. She's a retired psychiatric nurse, you know. Mm -hmm. And being in the house for the first couple hours, sitting down talking with her, I saw something. And I can talk about it because it's not in the documentary. Okay. It's pre-documentary. <laughs> um, I know, right? Uh, so I didn't tell her at the time. I keep a lot of stuff close uh, and, and kind of quiet until I, I validated and figured it out. But while we were sitting there talking, I saw a shadow figure dart up the stairs. It was like a black mass. And it, it just centered on the top of the stairs, almost like peering down. There was no form to it. It was just a dark mass. And I, it caught my attention. I was staring at it. And I, and I, I stopped listening to her talking. And that just kind of caught my attention because that just seemed different. I could tell she was scared, so I was intrigued. We came back about a week and a half later and did a formal investigation. And what's interesting about that black mass on the stairs, if you watch the documentary, um, one of the first times they show an object move off the stairs, you see the light flicker and you almost see a a mass move up the stairs. You, You guys know what I'm talking about? I do, yeah. Okay, so... Throughout the years of investigating, having people come in the house, whether they're investigators or if we're doing tours, I cannot tell you the, the countless times that we've had people see a mass or a figure up the stairs. So it kind of validated what I first experienced when I first came in the house and met Alice. We actually had a lady who was sitting in a chair by the stairs. One time we were doing a tour, we were kind of going over some of the evidence we caught in the house. And the lady stood up in the middle of me talking and walked out and slammed the door. And I was like, what the hell? I was like, what an asshole. I was like, okay. Um, but come to find out, she'd never been to a haunted location. It was something she'd never been into. She came with some friends, and she didn't want to come back in the house. She said she saw somebody walk up the stairs, and they were staring, staring down at her. So that was just interesting, the repetitiveness of what people experience on the stairs and the, the shadow figures. And, and so, you know, it's kind of lends credibility. But when that happened with Alice the first time I met her, I knew this was not just a typical private residence case. And it shows my age, but I've been doing that house for over 12 years now. It shows your age. I could be your mother. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> it's a beautiful house. I mean, it really is. It's a beautiful house. So you got called into this beautiful house in a beautiful area. And you met Alice, um, which I'm, I'm trying really hard not to give spoilers, but she seems normal. She seems like a normal yeah, person. Yeah, she's great. Alice is the most genuine person you'd ever meet. And she would do anything for anybody. She is just... She will take care of anything. And, and she just was scared. I mean, yeah. she built this house to be her dream home with her husband and her daughter. And she knew that there were things happening when they were building the house. But it never got to a level where it scared her until there was the experience with lights, which yeah. I, I know Brad talked to you about. And at that point, she didn't know if it was extraterrestrial, interdimensional, or paranormal. She didn't know. So she felt so out of her mind that she had to reach out to somebody and that's what she did. And um, Darren Dito, which used to work for WAPT, one of the local news stories here, um, he did ghost hunting before ghost hunting was cool. Around the same time, Ghost Hunters, the original show, kicked off. And uh, he was nice enough to come out there. And once he validated some stuff, and I gave her some evidence where she could tell that she wasn't crazy, she felt a lot more comfortable about talking about it, opening it up. And now she's at the point where, obviously, she doesn't stay there. But right. she truly believes, and I do as well, that there can be something discovered in this house. You know, throughout all the locations that I've ever done, which we've done Blessed Murder House, Winchester House, I've been to Jamaica, we've done Rose Hall, we've done some really cool places. Um, her house, weirdly, a 1990s house in Florence, Mississippi, is the most consistently active place that I've ever stepped foot in. That does strike me as odd, that it's a, a, a relatively late model build, right? Um 
doesn't have a lot of history as far as the structure and people living there and all that stuff that anyone knows of, and it's that active. That seems very yep. un- unusual. Yeah, and, it, and it's always ever-evolving. I always say this house is like a puzzle, and it's like when you find the missing piece and you put it in there, and it's like two more pieces go missing. It's huh. just, and, that, and that's what's kept my interest for 12 years. And I have a short attention span. I, I love new locations. I love historic places. So for this private residence to kind of keep me in the field, and there was a point where, you know, I love the paranormal and I, I love doing it, but uh, I, I kind of stepped away for uh, a few months. And I was kind of thinking about just kind of giving it up. But for some reason, that house always keeps me involved. And then something dramatic happens and just kind of re-energizes me. So I have the entire house to thank for my paranormal career, and, and it's 2020, and I'm still doing this. Are there any experiences pre-documentary that you can talk about? Yes, there's several. One interesting, so you've seen the, the documentary. and Four um, times. The yes. chandelier. <laughs> oh, what? Air high five on that one. So, and I don't mind saying this. So the chandelier, that's a focal point that you see in the documentary mm-hmm. that, that we've discussed. So I investigated the house probably two or three years before anything happened with that light. The first time that ever, something ever happened with that light, we were investigating me and my two people with smoke and mirrors. And I was doing an EVP session. I was sitting in a chair under the light. And we had trigger names that we used. We had the trigger object set up in the house. All the lights were off in the house except for the chandelier. And Alice, obviously, is the homeowner. So I used her name because it's always a trigger name. We've gotten some incredible EVPs using her name. And uh, I had something about Alice. And all of a sudden, I felt a shock to the back of my neck, almost like if you like had a dog collar or you touch an electric fence or Ooh, something like that. Okay. It was it was a sh- it was a shock from my neck down to my back. I actually jumped out of the chair and I ended on my ended up on my knees on the ground, and I didn't realize at the time, but the chandelier had drained, so the the room was completely black. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, so the energy left that light and went to my back. It was almost like it shocked me. That's the only rational explanation I could think of. It, it hurts. And it's one of those things that happen that you want to happen again, but at the same time, you never want it to happen again. <laughs> you want it to happen again, but maybe to the person next to you. <laughs> right. Like you want to document it, but it just, it was such a, like, if you're boxing and somebody hits you in the mouth, you're like, you're, you're just kind of like dazed for a minute. And, uh, it scared my other two people that were in the room with me because they didn't know what happened. I just jumped up out of the chair and I ended up on my knees on the ground. And at that point, the, the light shut off. So, of course, I'm thinking, okay, so let's replicate it. And I know Brad talked about patterns to you, and that's important to us because if something can happen, then we need to make it relevant. So let's have right. it happen again. So then we started focusing on the light specifically and asking for it to shut off and do something on command. And lo and behold, you've seen the documentary, you've seen it happen. And what's interesting is there's weeks, if not months sometimes, where nobody's in the home. And we have the house wired up now with cameras. The light will never turn off if nobody—they're not provoking it. The only time that chandelier will go off is if somebody's in the house doing an investigation, using some kind of devices. It's—it's it's a response. That's what's interesting. And with the years we have documented, whether people are skeptical or not, that's okay. I'm fine with it because we have the evidence and the years log to prove you wrong. Well, it—it kind of makes sense though because it, it has to take a lot of energy. To mess with that light, that that's not like a tiny little desk lamp. That is some some heavy heavy light there. It's a substantial fixture. Yeah, thank you. I couldn't think of the word substantial. So I I can't see that 
if there there's entities there or spirits there or you know however you want to phrase that that they would go to the trouble of messing with the light if nobody's there to witness it right so somebody right. goes in there and they're like hey i'm here let me know you're here right i can see right. that being the time that they'll say all right all right we got another sh- we got another schmoo in here let's uh let's try and get this energy up so we can we can yeah, so we can <laughs> we can let them know we're here. I've been called worse. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't calling you a schmoo. I was just schmooing. But no, but so it, what's interesting, and you you've seen the phrase, you know, teaching the dead, and I kind of coined that phrase. But that's that's truly what I feel in the house because so that was the first uh, focal point that I used, and then we started, you know, not to get like and see Brad came into this and he's just a spoiled kid. He's like Baruch Salt on uh, Willy Wonka. That's what Brad is. Because he came into the uh, first time investigating in this house. Like, how lucky do you get? Right? You know? I'm like, so, you know, you're spoiled. Be, be quiet. And sometimes at <laughs> this house, we do get spoiled. You know, Steve reminded us of that. He's like, because we were in there doing something and, and, and nothing had happened at the time. He's like, you guys are a bunch of spoiled kids. He's like, you don't understand. You've gotten so used to something happening in this house all the time. You need to calm down, pump your brakes, and you know, let the energy, you know, resurge and resurface and all that good stuff. But anyway, so the, the chandelier was the first focal point. And then after that, we started moving different trigger objects. So obviously you've seen the ball in the film, the baseball, and this is pre-documentary as well. And the reason we decided to use a baseball, obviously a baseball is heavy. So if you have a level surface in your house or anybody else's house, and you set a baseball on it, it should not move, correct? Correct. Correct. And also, the other reason we use the baseball is because of stitching. So it's got stitching on both sides. So if the baseball is moved and it's pivoted, you can use the stitching as a focal point to see if it's turned left or right before it starts propelling. Yeah, reference point, yeah. C- completely to the side of what you're saying, but I've got to say it because it's been driving me crazy for days. Uh, wh- whoever put together the promo poster with the baseball on it needs to adjust the contrast just a little bit because every time i look at that i think it's seymour from little house of horrors from the way that one of my favorite movies which they're redoing right now and uh the guy from kingsman is going to tell you uh seymour i believe oh gosh you don't know who i am go go look it up you'll see the whole new cast of people but yeah little shop of horrors great movie they're they're redoing it no no don't redo it yeah leave it alone look it's like back to the future that's 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 my childhood is Back to the Future. So the, the day that they choose to remake that, I'm going to be very upset. Shh, don't even put that thought out there. So <laughs> I did not mean to sidetrack us, but uh, it just it, it popped into my head when you mentioned the baseball and the stitching. It was just like, yeah, it looks just like Seymour. <laughs> the angle it was at? The angle, right. Yeah. The angle they have it and the way they have the light on it, yeah, it, it yeah. looks like Seymour. It looks it's like, like the, it's like, what feed the heck? me Seymour. Yeah. <laughs> feed me. Yeah. <laughs> Whose idea was it for the baseball? Yeah, that that was my idea. Um, again, because you know we wanted some different trigger objects and different focal points. Because the the chandelier light was obviously in the center of the room, but we've had a lot of cases of black shadows, masses, and a lot of activity on the stairwell. So we wanted to use the stairwell as a focal point, thinking that okay, if they can understand us and hear our voice, whether it's interdimensional, whether it's intelligent entities in the house, then let's try this and it sat there i mean the ball sat there for a long time and it, it was at least a couple months and nothing happened so it's just patience you know and one day when nobody was in the house boom and thank god that we invested in dvr cameras uh and had trigger objects set up because we could backtrack it and uh when brad realized that an object was not where it was supposed to be 
unless somebody came in and moved it, then we have some interesting video, which we did. Yeah, that that ball, and again, no spoilers, but that ball was really interesting. Yep, a, a key point. <laughs> no spoilers, though. So what other kind of trigger objects do you use in that house? So we have a lot of uh, dolls, and I've collected some objects over the years of investigating, and uh, I have some haunted objects that I've collected, and I got some stuff when we were in Jamaica. And by the way, Jamaica is an interesting place. You know, you think about New Orleans and doo-doo, if you go to Jamaica, that's like the birthplace of voodoo. There's some like heavy believers. Uh, and if you look up Rose Hall, that's such a cool location. I think it used to be a sugar uh, sugarcane plantation, but uh, we were able to investigate that place. And Johnny Cash actually has a place not too far uh, from Rose Hall, so I, I didn't know that either. There's a lot of history in oh, Jamaica. I didn't know that. But uh, yeah, uh, Ghost Adventures actually did a really cool episode where they use uh, a vocal tone software where they actually captured an EBP and had a recording of him talking in his vocal tone pattern and the EVP, they laid it over it and it was almost identical. Oh, wow. So I thought that was pretty cool. And that kind of triggers me or kind of segues back to paranormal investigating. So one of my favorite things whenever I got into the field was audio, because to me, you know, skeptics are good. And I know Brad mentioned that as well. They keep you honest in the field. We need those people who are non-believers. Um, but, if you're capturing audio on analog or digital, which we use both, uh, and it's a clear sentence, it's, it's relative to what you're doing, it's intelligent. If you're a non-believer or a believer, you know, you have to have a conversation. If that's not faith, what is that? You know, so audio is one of my favorite things. Obviously, video is great as well, but it's just so cool when you're reviewing audio and you capture just like a class A EVP mm-hmm. full sentence. You mm-hmm. know, it makes all the hours that you spend doing this worth it. That's one of my favorite things is is listening back to the audio. It's like unwrapping a Christmas present. You, you can't wait to see what you get. Because, <laughs> right? Because, yeah. And when it's crystal clear, you can't dispute it. No, not at all. Um, McRaven Home, which is in, um, in Vicksburg, Mississippi, which is very famous for Civil War battles. Really, really cool places. There's, there's so many antebellum homes there, and there's a huge Civil War cemetery there. Um, and this, this place was 1700s into the late 1800s. It was built in three different periods. But we call it just an incredible EVP there. And they actually use it on their tours, which is cool now. But and, and this was during the day. And I love people who always ask, you know, why do you do investigations at night? Well, there's different reasons why you do it at night, obviously. When it's nighttime, your IR can catch, you know, orbs and energy and stuff that you can't see in the, during the day. But if a location is haunted, it's haunted during the day or mm-hmm. at night. It doesn't really matter. But we've, we've captured some of the best audio uh, during the morning walkthroughs before we leave locations. That's something I was going to ask you. I'm a big proponent of if a place is haunted, it's haunted all around the clock. It doesn't matter if the sun is up yeah. or the sun is down. The spirits are there. The energy's there. Yeah, honestly, I mean, really, it's 50-50. I mean, we don't, obviously, most investigators do stuff at dusk and night, so that's when you're capturing stuff. But, yeah, I mean, if you're doing stuff in a location during the day, I mean— you never know, but really our morning walkthroughs, there's a place, there's a bed and breakfast we did in Lafayette, Louisiana, and we, did, we didn't get anything at night. We had nothing, but we did like an hour walkthrough during the day, and it was like the holy grail. I'm like, what the hell? Yeah, where <laughs> like did this come from? We got more in an hour than we did like 12 hours. I don't understand. I, I am all for doing investigations during the day, and not just because I like to be in bed by 8 o'clock. Yeah, well, yeah, that's part <laughs> <Right>? of it. <laughs> I'm old. I like to go to bed early. I like to be able to see where I'm going. <laughs> I'm just more aware during the day than I am at night. So I, I like to 
be out and about during the day if we well, yeah, can. More receptive. I mean, you're, yeah, you're more open so. and more receptive, more aware. Well, it's because I get tired and cranky. Right. <laughs> yeah, look, it's a whole process as I've got kids and everything else and, and work. So when you do an investigation and it's like a long night, the next day, it's it's like worse than a hangover. It's like I need mm-hmm. two days of just oh, like recovery worse. before I start anything. <laughs> we far we worse. did an overnight investigation not too long ago. And it was it wasn't for a, a client. It was just for us to go check a place out and and do something for ourselves. I think. In the whole next four days, I think we were foggy as heck because oh, we were yeah. up all we were up all the day before. We were up all night. We were up all drove the following a long day. ways to get there. Drove a long way. Uh, the the spirits kept us up all night. When we did try to go to bed around four o'clock in the morning, they kept us up, up singing and playing music. Oh yeah, <laughs> old old frontier saloon music, with yeah. the honky tonk piano so. and the drunken whiskey. <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not over that yet. Singing, well, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> that's a party. You can't sleep through that. You gotta enjoy that. Oh, it was hard to enjoy at four thirty, starting at four thirty a.m. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I, I'm I'm all for the daytime. <laughs> yeah. Full body apparition walked out at four thirty, you're like, Okay, I got it and I go away. I no, the sleep. the full body it. apparition walked out about three thirty? Yeah, about three forty five. About three thirty, three forty five. Yep. She was in bed and I was out back having a smoke and uh, she saw me walk out of the bathroom into our room and across the foot of the bed. Wow. And uh, I wasn't even in this structure. I was outside. <laughs> and it, it was it was at this place that we were investigating. <laughs> so yeah, it was That's pretty awesome. I just wanted to sleep. <laughs> I was like, dudes, everybody, quiet down. Sing enough with the piano. I'm gonna come cut all eighty eight strings off of your piano if you yeah, don't stop pounding much. on that thing. Which brings me to a question I have for you. And for you and you alone, I have this question. This is scary. So you have been investigating no, no, no. I when when we go out and investigate, I don't generally get spooked. I don't get I might get startled like when a door opens right next to you, you get a little startled or somebody pets or somebody whispers in your ear or, or something. somebody everybody whispers in my ear, but when somebody pets you on the back of the head or whatever. Oh yeah, or pokes you in the kidney. Oh god, I hate the poke in the kidney. I don't know why they poke me in the kidney all they the time. They do it a lot. I know. But I don't I don't get crazy. So like when we were at this investigation, I was tired and I was cranky and my my vocals back to who whoever lived in this house with us was guys i need to go to sleep knock it off right when you're doing an investigation of a house for 12 years do you ever get bored or complacent or just have normal conversations with uh, the entities that you can't see, um, treat them like one of the guys. You know what I mean? Like just that kind of kind of camaraderie. Or is it always a surprise? Is it always an excitement? That's a great question. Um, and and what's interesting about this house is it really is ever evolving. So we've had several different medium people. Uh, I call them people. That's not right. <laughs> we've had several different mediums come in, and you know. Obviously, they don't know each other. We've had people from New York, Seattle, California, all over the country. And it's interesting to hear that the one main uh, storyline with the house is there's a portal there. And it kind of makes sense because the energy in the house changes. We've captured so many different voices in the house. It's almost like a spirit hotel is what we've been told. Uh, But there are two entities that's attached to the land, which also makes sense because 
I've had the same male and female EVP over and over again, same vocal tones. So audio is one of my favorite things that I, I work with, with, whether it's analog or digital. And I'm always intrigued. So if you're if you're recording on analog and you're recording on digital, you know, if you catch it on digital, why did you not catch it on analog and vice versa? So, and if you look into that, this is a whole other subtopic. And then also vocal tone patterns, because if you, you know, your fingerprints are unique. So nobody has the same fingerprints. That's why the police fingerprints you whenever you're arrested. Not that I would know. I've never been arrested. <laughs> but that you'll admit. your vocal, the vocal tone pattern is the same thing. Nobody's vocal tone pattern is the same. So that, that that's something that intrigues me that I'm working for uh, and kind of more developing in the future with my paranormal investigation is, is audio. But to answer your question, I get so used to talking to them in the house. You know, when we have people come in for tours, which is neat, and we do it because it's, you know, people like entertainment. Instead of going to get a steak dinner or going to a movie, to have people come in who are intrigued with the paranormal, which most people are, even in the deep south, you know, you would think that the biggest country bumpkin guy that comes in the house, you'd think he'd not be into it at all. He's like one of the most into it mm-hmm. people that you'd ever meet. Because if you talk to 10 people, I would say eight out of 10 people have had an experience or know somebody who's had an experience. So you're talking about 80% of the population and maybe that's a high number, but I, I, in my experience, that's about right. So it's, it's weird because I'm so used to talking to them now because I leave the investigation. I start asking questions and communicating with them. And I feel a bond at that house. Sometimes I don't want to leave the house. I've only had that happen with one other place, which was King Tavern, which I just found out recently, totally off topic, that a medium told me that I have ties to that land, which I don't know if that's true or not, but it makes sense. But I get angry whenever I leave King's Tavern. I don't want to leave there. But, um, yeah, I, I kind of treat them like one of the guys, the male and the female spirit that's supposedly attached to the land. You know, and I feel like they work for us. When you're talking about the house in between, you know, we filmed it for a, a few years on and off. But for the things that happened in that house during the filming of the documentary, I mean, it's pretty much the paranormal powerball because you can't make things happen. You know, when we have people come in on tours, it's not like, okay, guys, 945, we've got a female apparition. She's going to walk down the stairs. Everybody smile and get your cameras ready. Now, we're working on that. We're going to be multimillionaires where we can hone that. <laughs> um, but, like, you know, seriously, like, and you guys know what I'm talking about at the end of the documentary, how dramatic it was. You know, I truly believe, as crazy as this sounds, that the entities in this house are working to help us. I know it sounds crazy, but we asked them to help us. We asked them to respond. We, we mentioned to them how, how important this was because we're trying to tell the story. We wanted to tell Alice's story and to validate that she obviously wasn't crazy, that she had some really dramatic stuff happen in the house. And Kendall, you know, talk about Kendall Welton, the cinematographer, who's done ghost, uh, ghost hunters for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a, he does Wicked Tuna. He's, he's incredible. He's a genius on the cinematography side. You know, he's done over 700 locations. Oh, that's huge. Yeah, he's done the Real Conjuring House. Well, the Real Conjuring House, they had a live feed. So me and Kendall mm-hmm. did a stream with the new owners of the Conjuring House. And I didn't know that, but he's done over 700 locations, and nothing has affected him as much as this house did at the end of this documentary because yeah. it happened right in front of his face. That that was awesome. No yeah. spoilers, no spoilers. No, but just the only spoiler is anyone listening to this that has not seen it, the house in between, go see it. Um, it's available on I know Amazon Prime. Where else is it out? 
It's everywhere. It's on Apple's and all of it. Yeah, so go, go to thehouseinbetween.com. You can actually click on watch. It's got all 26 streaming platforms on there. You can rent it. You can purchase it. You can go to Amazon, buy Blu-ray if you want to. We cool. got merchandise. We got hats, everything in the world. I have a couple more questions for you. I actually have a lot more questions yeah. for you, so don't leave me yet. Pearl, Mississippi is a tiny little town. It's a tiny little southern town. What prompted Alice to go public? I know she was very quiet about it, and, and maybe I shouldn't ask you this question, but I'm asking you anyway. So if you can answer it, what made her go to the media? So actually, what happened was she didn't herself go to the media. She had people who, so she reached out to me initially. Right. And I came to the house, and we were poking and prod, and this is around the fall time, so... The person who contacted me and, re- and and contacted me to Alice actually started running her mouth, per se, to people who knew Darren Dito. So it was kind of like a whisper game up until the point where Darren got a hold of it, and he found there was a house in Mississippi that was supposedly haunted. So he actually contacted Alice, and Alice was open to it. She thought, why not? What could it hurt? So she kind of just... You know, at this point, she she rolled the dice to see what could happen. And you are right. So Florence, Mississippi is a small town. And you see in the documentary, there's a there's a huge cross. There's a big cat, mm-hmm. uh, catfish restaurant that's right by our house. And to let you know how quiet and hush-hush it is here, during the documentary, we have a lot of professionals that come in to kind of validate that this is not like the house is level. Uh, you know, electrical engineers yes. come in. I cannot tell you how many people we had to contact to actually get them on film. They were interested to come in to check the house, but when they found out what we were doing, they backed out. Oh, they didn't want to be publicized. We had over 50 different people who backed out on this. Wow. Wow. To the point where we're like, we were almost going to call somebody out of state to see if they would come. That's a true story. And and I don't think I've told that to anybody. So you guys are the first on that. But yes, Ooh, to, to get people lined up to exclusive. But yes, <laughs> to get people lined up to be on film to uh, you know whatever their professional career was, it was very very challenging. Um, and we actually have some people who interviewed, which I won't go into full detail with, that actually didn't sign off, so they're not in the documentary. So it just shows you that. Mississippi is the Bible Belt. It is quiet. People think you're crazy. So Alice was very scared to tell her story, which I'm I'm very proud of her for coming forward. Yeah, and, yeah understandably scared. Right. Um, but she's legit. She's one of those rare cases that you walk into that she genuinely was scared. And I could tell it in her voice and her eyes. And you could see it in her face. You know, it worked out. And, and bringing Steve and Kendall in was great. That's my next question is how how did that come about? So me and Brad, so Brad came in the picture, and it's great to have another investigator in. This is all about the pair of unity thing. You know, when I first started investigating, there were so many groups that were around my area, and they would they would lock on to a location and they would lock it down. Like they would they would get in with the owners, tell tell them, hey, don't let anybody else come investigate this location. This is our location. Nobody else can come. I know a few investigators here like that. Yeah, right. So you get territorial. So like, what does that do? So to me, you're in the field for the wrong reason. Yep. You're in it because you want, you know, there's so many teams that get into the paranormal field who think, I'm going to get my TV show and this nope. is going to be awesome. Well, <laughs> you'll come to find out that doesn't happen. It's almost like being a singer. You know, there's a lot of musicians. There's some great musicians musicians in like, you know, New York and New Orleans. You walk around, there's some very talented people, but it's very rare that you get a music career and you're successful. 
same thing with paranormal fields. It's very rare that you're going to get a TV show and you're going to be a, a big star or celebrity and all that good stuff. I don't see why you'd want to. I mean, if you're doing if you're doing this because you love doing it and you want to help people or you want to gather evidence or you know have the science to back it up or whatever, the fame and the fortune are just meh. I'm not saying it's wrong if a person's heart is in the right place and that is a byproduct of it of of notoriety and and publicity and and being seen and heard and stuff like that. But at the same time, I just get a sense that there's a good number of folks out there that are that their motivation is not from the right side. Well, you, you see them because they're not true investigators. They don't have the skill set and, and, like you said, the passion to actually do the field. And if, if things like that come your way, then it's going to be genuine. Like, I, this documentary is second off, and it's done more than we ever thought it could, and that's great. But I've been in the field for 12-plus years, or I guess 12, over a decade. I've been in the field over a decade, and this is the first time that something like this has happened to me. And it's awesome. It's great. But we put in over a decade of work to make this documentary what it is. And it, it's so unique because, you know, Steve's idea was to push more of the uh, the science and the human interest versus the paranormal. And there was a lot of pushback because I'm hard-headed and Steve's hard-headed, but Steve's a genius. He's been in the game for a long time. Steve's one of the OGs of the paranormal. You know, I had to respect everything he was doing, but it, it makes sense. Every, his vision worked out perfectly. And it's great because this documentary is great for skeptics. It's great for the paranormal believers. So it reaches such a broad audience. It's not just your supernatural paranormal uh, viewers that want to watch this documentary. But how did they get involved? I mean, that that's there's there's a lot of places like this around the country, right, where people are having these experiences and they've had them for years and years and years and years and years. That how did he land on this one place? Right, because he's not from the South, and right. Steve does not fly. He actually has a phobia of two things, spiders and flying. Spiders, yeah. yes. He does not I know fly. spiders. <laughs> he does not, yeah. So he drives everywhere. He does not fly. Um, so Alice and Co-Brad reached out to Steve and said, hey, we want you to check out this location. And it intrigued him enough from the evidence that we sent him that he actually drove down. And Steve came in the house, and he was there for probably – I don't know, 30 minutes. And the funny thing is, I've been in this house for over a decade. I, I swear to you, I've never seen spiders in this house. Steve comes in the house, and as soon as he walks in the door, what is in the middle of the floor? <laughs> Two enormous spiders. <laughs> they were saying hello. Swear to, I was like, we're all like, me and Brad and Alice are looking at each other like, what the hell? <laughs> the house is clean. <laughs> like, I'm like, I don't know. So anyway, he was like reluctant to come in. But anyway... Uh, so he had an experience, something that intrigued him. Uh, and I'll, I'll go ahead and say it, it's something with the light that happened. Uh, he said, hey, I'm Steve. Uh, you know, I've traveled a great, you know, deal of time to be here. Give me, you know, give me something that's happened. You know, give me a sign that you're here. You're saying that I'm here, et cetera, et cetera. And something happened. And, um, you know, Steve went into full investigator mode trying to figure it out and rationalize it. He couldn't. So he left. Um, about a week later, Steve reached out to Brad and was like, Hey, I want to come back to the house. I want to try a couple of things. And I won't go into detail with that, but he came back down and we did a, a few different things. And it got to the point where he was so intrigued with the house and Alice that he said, have you guys ever thought about doing a documentary? I think Alice's story is so unique because like you guys said, this is a 1990s house. This is not your typical like Adam's family house. And, he knew that there was something genuine here, 
So the documentary started small. This was about Alice and her story. And as, you know, we got the crew together and began filming, more and more started to happen. So it kind of involved bigger and bigger. And as you saw at the wrapping of the documentary, which we won't give spoilers to, it exploded to what it is now. I look forward to seeing what those missing uh, two, one or two puzzle pieces are that, that link everything together and make it clear. Um, there's obviously something going on, and it's yet to be fully discovered. So that's going to be a real eye-opener, yeah, a real they, revelation. They, they, they kind of gloss over some ideas, but they never actually, I don't think, ever actually found that those true pieces that you're looking for. Yeah. No, there's something that ties all this together and, and is going to yep. make it make sense at some point. But I, I will say you, you mentioned that the original idea for the documentary basically was human interest was to tell Alice's story and it does that. Right. So we, we've got, we've got evidence that shows up. We've got actual paranormal investigation that goes on, not just, just running around with a microphone and a camera. We've got actual, scientific things going on to to prove or disprove um but it really is all about alice and 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 her story and where she's coming from and and what's going on for her and i think that's one of the things that makes this a a really standout documentary uh, thank you and i think it's so genuine too and i think Mm -hmm. to be genuine and unique in 2020 is hard to do and even to the contractor walking outside in the documentary and putting a dip in his mouth (laughs) i caught that these are not actors. This is just real life people. And it's just, I think that's why documentary, the genre itself is so hot right now because people want real life. They want real things. You know, it's fun to watch movies and all that stuff. But if you get a good documentary with a great story behind it, that's real and authentic, I think people will really connect to it. And I think that's what happened with Alice in Between. And that is not to be mistaken or misinterpreted for reality TV. A documentary and no. reality TV are two different kinds of reality. <laughs> yeah, you kind of have to explain that for the youngers. Yeah, because reality TV is scripted. Not reality, exactly. <laughs> How many years from when Steve first walked in to when this was released last month or two months ago, right? Because we're in July now. Was the documentary being filmed, going on, being discussed? I mean, how, how many years went by? Uh, around four. Four years is a long time. Yeah, that's a lot, guys. So when you think about a 30-minute video on YouTube of a of a, a small-time paranormal investigation group like Crazy Cat Paranormal <laughs> plug, uh, plug. doing something. Well, no, it's not that. But, I mean, I can use us as an example because I'm directly involved, and I know. Uh, it's hours and hours and hours like we started out in this discussion talking about it's many, many hours to get that 30 minutes. And just think guys, it's four years (laughs) to get this documentary. It was four years well spent. Yeah, definitely. It it was, it, it it just, you know, and it just, it it just, it felt like it drug out forever because it was a long time, but, and and shout out, I think Brad did this too, but Corey Frost, the editor, you know, if you're an editor of any kind, I respect you 100% because that is a true, like that, that, that's an artistic thing because it is hard as many hours as they filmed to put it together to package the story. That That's a hard thing to do. And, you know, there's so much that happened in the documentary that's relevant, but you had to keep focused and keep that storyline. And I think the documentary is interesting. It highlights the right things and it kind of keeps you moving. And there's a lot of Easter eggs in the film too. One of the most common things I hear about the documentaries, people are repeat watchers. And I think Brad mentioned that as well. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting because, 
to me, my favorite things are less is more. Have you ever watched The Haunting of Hill House on uh, Netflix? Yeah. Uh, that's one of my favorite series. There's a lot of things that you don't see, and they purposely don't point it out. You have to pay attention and watch for them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's that's part of what makes this authentic. Is that the right word? Authentic? Because you guys are going or about genuine. Genuine, okay. Yeah. You guys are going about doing your thing and things are happening and you're not freaking out and oh, look at that. Oh, wait, what's that? Uh well, you know, except for the last twelve minutes, but yeah. we won't go into that. <laughs> there there was so there's things that happen. When I wasn't there, so when uh, the medium that came in the documentary, I'll just say the medium, if you watch when she came in, there's several things that happened while she was there. And one of the things, when I heard it, when she was in the house, blew my mind. And I don't know if you know what I'm talking about or not, but they were talking about the history of the town. And that's never happened in the house before. So when that happened, the first time I watched the, the raw cut of the documentary... I got goosebumps all over my body because, like, it's just so crazy that that happened while she was there talking about it. I I just, I can't explain it. It was truly incredible. That's one of my favorite parts of the documentary. I liked her a lot, by the way. I thought she was pretty cool. Yeah, she's great. I want to give one one quick shout before I I turn it over to you to to send all your shout-outs. Steve, please come on the podcast. I know you're <laughs> shy, but please, I, I love the scientific approach. I would love to have a conversation with you uh, just to talk the science side of this and, yeah. and the skeptic side of this. Come on, please. I'm begging you. Okay. That that was my, my sad, pathetic plea. <laughs> he, he is next level. He's definitely, and he's so, he's so skillful. I mean, you know, he's, mm-hmm. a, he's a talented drummer. If you didn't know that, he can... He can kill a drum set. Um, he's you a paranormal a investigator. Yeah, I just lost my drummer. <laughs> well, he's, he's very talented. And again, he's the OG, the paranormal, very in- intelligent. And we were having coffee at Starbucks. This is an exclusive thing because I've never told this story. We were having coffee at Starbucks during uh, a break during filming one time. And my wife was there with me. And he was looking at her wedding ring. He picked her, her hand up and looked at the prongs. He's like, you need to go get this fixed because this is wrong. And this is this kind of diamond. And this... So he, he knows all about, like, cuts of jewelry as well. He's so all over the spectrum, he can keep you entertained for five hours of a conversation. See, he would be perfect. He kind of reminds me of somebody yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he plays the drums, he's, he's too. Multi, you guys are going great. <laughs> he's multi-talented. Uh, we, we are coming up on the hour very, very sadly because I have a million more questions for you. But is there anybody you want to shout out to? Is there anything you want to promote? Anything coming up? First of all, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. And uh, and the house in between is such a unique story. Everybody needs to go watch it. And uh, go to thehouseinbetween.com. It'll tell you where, where it's at. You can stream it, rent it, buy whatever you want to do. And Brad Cooney, Alice, uh, Kendall Wilson, his wife, Vera, Steve, Corey Frost, uh, the whole team of the house in between. It, it takes an army. And I'll tell you what, it really is who you attach yourself to because we can only look so good as investigators. So it really tell, it, it takes the people behind the scenes to make you look good, tell the story, and really make it appealing to everybody else who wants to watch it. So, And we were scared when we put this documentary out. You know, this is different uh, from anything else that's out there. This is not a spook show. And we got people who love the documentary, and we got people who hate the documentary because they want more paranormal. And I get that. And the story's not complete. But we did that for a reason. So go well, check out the house in between, and, and hopefully there's more to come. The story can't be complete because... Because the story's not complete. Because it's not done yet. 
Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, there's, there's definitely more to tell, but I think this was a great starting point, uh, really highlighted Alice's story and we're still working on it. And we've, we've really dived into a whole nother aspect, which I won't go into, but, um, hopefully you guys will see the house in between two, uh, before you know it. Oh gosh. I hope so. I know, I know Brad alluded to it last week. So now, now I'm waiting patiently to hear more news about it. I know y'all can't talk about it yet. But I I do want to say one thing, John. I I love talking to people on the podcast. I love our guests that come on. And I'm always willing and, and wishing for them to come back so we can have more conversations. But you come back anytime, anytime. Shoot me a, a text or a ping or whatever. Anytime you feel like you want to come on and talk because you are the door's wide open for you. Thank you all so much. I appreciate you all having on. And, and people who are genuine in the field, I, it's a special place in my heart because I know how hard this field is. I know how much we, how much effort we put in, how much work we put into this field. So it, it really is about pure unity because every piece that we capture validates what we do. And if we come together, this can be a legitimate field, and that's what we want for the future. Yes. With, with all the scientific interest that is starting to pop up, finally, yay. Um, yep. Hopefully, yeah. It, it'll be it, – people will be more comfortable talking about it. Yep. I'm just working on Elon Musk. I'm going to work on him. We're, we're working together. So I just saw today that Tesla took over the top spot for automotive. He beat Toyota. So if we can get him in the paranormal, we'll, uh, we'll be good to go. Oh, gosh. <laughs> we, we'll, we'll have portals that we can open on command if we get him in. Paranormal in space. Paranormal we can get SpaceX space. to launch our, our uh, instruments. <laughs> that, that's actually an intriguing that. idea. Thanks. That'd be awesome. On that note, I want to thank you very much for coming on. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, John. Yeah, not a problem. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you have a good evening. Oh, you too. Bye-bye.